Today's episode is brought to you by Romer Skincare. Based out of Chicago, Romer launched a work-from-home, clean skincare line that covers all your skin needs. They proved that you don't need a million serums and eye creams to get better skin. Really? Because I do have a million and I don't have better skin until I use this. But this (laughs) is why we love them. Clean ingredients and effective results with just a simple three-step routine that you and even your partner can share. Okay, but what if I don't want to share? Can I have my own? Well, yes, because right now, Romer Skincare is offering our listeners 15% off and a gift with your first purchase by using the code LISTENER15. That's code LISTENER15 on their website, romerskincare.com. That's R-O-M-E-R skincare.com. No stress, no clutter, just happy skin. Hi, this is Jenna. And this is Kelly. And you're listening to ODFM. This episode is One Divination from Murder. Hey, Jenna, did you see we have our first patron? I did, and I'm so excited. Thank you, Jamie McIntyre. Shout out. You're amazing. You are my new favorite person. Yeah, we Um, have a new best friend. She doesn't even know us, but she's our new best friend. You're going to get some cool stuff for supporting us, which is really awesome. I'd even bake you cookies, but I, I can't bake. So you, you wouldn't want them anyway. You don't want those. But I, but I feel like I want to. And that says a lot. I think. That's huge. Thank you so much. That was like the coolest news that we got was like. Someone likes us. Someone likes us. Thank you, Jamie. Thank, Thank you so you, much. Jamie. So back in 1989, Bridget, my friend and fellow entrepreneur, She went on a weekend getaway with her family, and little did she know that when she got back home to Omaha, Nebraska, her childhood innocence would be gone and her outlook on life changed forever. Damn. Was that enough drama for you? Yeah. (laughs) That's dark. (laughs) Yes. That was very heavy to start it off. Yes. I had to start it heavy. Okay. Dang. All right. I know. So Bridget submitted the story about her best friend from Catholic school who died at only 12 years old. So you went to, did you go to Catholic school or you just grew up Catholic? I grew up Catholic. My mom went to Catholic school and because, because she did, she said, no, you're going to public school. (laughs) Okay, cool. She didn't want you getting your fingers wrapped and all that kind of stuff. Exactly. She was like, I think you should go to public school. I was like, okay. Okay. I'll go along with this. Okay. Yes. So Bridget and her best friend, Michelle, attended a small private Catholic school in Omaha, Nebraska, with only 14 kids in their class. So it was a tiny The whole Catholic class was 14 class. kids? Yes. So That's crazy. Yeah. So it was small enough that everybody had their own best friend. So like everybody paired off because it was just 14 oh, wow. of them. And so they I'm were just thinking close. about like if there was like a, a chicken pox outbreak, like the whole grade <laughs> shuts down. Like, it's just exactly. like, we're done. <laughs> this is where our heads go during a pandemic. <laughs> this is where I think of things. Right? Oh my God. It's true. So she remembers. Oh yeah. So Michelle was her closest friend in seventh grade. They had been friends for a long time. Bridget left one weekend on a short vacation only to come back to find out that her best friend had been murdered along with her best friend's mother. Holy cow. I know. On January 14th of 1989, firefighters responded to a fire at the Anglem home where they discovered the bodies of Susan, who was only 37, and Michelle, who was 12. Holy cow. Okay. I know. Susan had been fatally stabbed and Michelle asphyxiated, so hard to say, asphyxiated, 
and the house was set on fire to conceal the ki killings. Holy crap. I know. So I wait, when you say that Michelle was, ex was she, ex see, I can't say that either. Um, was it from smoke or like she was suffocated? She was suffocated. So <sighs> it was like a physically, purposely done to her. Yeah. Dang. I know. That's cold. So it's very cold. Ugh. And Bridget remembers Michelle's mom. She said she was really verbally abusive and she always felt afraid when she was around her. Her mom was very aggressive. and Really? Yeah. Okay. Bridget didn't want to play at Michelle's house because Susie tended to be very verbally abusive. And oh, I get that. Okay. So it wasn't even like a in private thing. It was, it didn't matter. She was just verbally yeah. abusive no she matter who. Pretty, that's scary. God. So they always went to Bridget's house where they felt safer. Um, Michelle's parents had been divorced for a few years before this happened. And her father, Michael, who was a firefighter, no longer lived with them. So he wasn't around to help win these her situations. Her father is a firefighter? Yeah. I know. Interesting. <clears throat> I'm just going to say that. that and then I'm just going to yeah. leave that there. Yeah. <laughs> Good Because thinking. there was a fire involved. So I'm just, mm -hmm. you know, again, this is not my first See, no, that's story. smart <laughs> of you to think of that. Okay. Michelle had an older brother who was 16 at the time, and his name was Michael also. So the dad's name was Michael, and okay. the son's name was Michael. He went by Mike. Okay. When investigating the crime scene, officers found two-and-a-half-gallon can, a two-and-a-half-gallon can, by Michelle's badly charred body that they believed contained gasoline. Michelle was strangled and found to have compression marks on her throat. Thanks. And in another room, they found Susie's body and one yellow acrylic glove either near her body or on her body. It was different in different um, articles I read about it. And the crazy thing is there are no articles to be found online. Nothing. Like what? you try to look them up, there's nothing <gasps> about any of this. That's so, um, yeah, and I found out luckily Bridget had uh, newspaper clippings, tons of them. So she oh my gosh. copied them for me. And I figured Thank out- Thank you, Bridget. That was very I nice know. of you. Thank goodness. There'd be no way unless I had gone to the newspaper that had written these stories. Right. And hunted them down, and, you know, in your free <laughs> yeah. time. Yes. Right. Which I, I actually did talk to one of the news uh, paper people there because I wanted some of their photos. Dang. But they haven't- I know. They, you. <laughs> I was being a researcher. I know. Um, but they haven't digitized that far- Oh, back. Pass. Okay, right. Yeah, so they would have had to go on mic microfiche and they're little, super shorthanded and I would have had to pay it tons. Of oh, okay. I'll, we'll <laughs> let that go then. We'll, okay. we'll let it go. We'll so, let it go. So we'll, I only have kind of a black and white super scanned photos that I'll have to share, but. Yeah, it's okay. Yes. Okay, so you said there was a, a yellow acrylic glove? Acrylic. Yeah, at first, and a couple of them had said rubber glove, but then it comes up in the trial later that happens later and they're, is it specifically an acrylic glove? The hell is an acrylic glove? So I think you know when I think of because um, I know latex and rubber and, and right. um So acrylic. I think it, it's like a fabric because my husband has some that he uses in the garage for some sort of maybe even cleaning up his motorcycle and stuff like that. It's like a hmm. thick, thick glove. So yeah. So that's kind is of it strange. like the kind that you can use like. Like as an oven glove or like I with, think so. um, yeah. grilling or something? So it yeah. doesn't... Okay. Maybe, okay, that makes so. more sense. I think. I could be See, totally wrong. But that's what I, I have yet to have come. I have yet to come across an acrylic glove. Well, you, know, you always hear about a rubber glove right. or latex glove. Yeah, you know. You're catching on to everything because that's a big 
big thing. Yeah, these don't seem very popular. And it's yellow. (laughs) I don't think, you know, when you think yellow glove, I think like those, um, you know, like when you're the the dishwashing gloves that go up to your elbows, right? Okay. Cleaning. Yeah. That's what I would have thought too. And and that's what I originally thought until I kept reading. Susan, the mother, she had a gaping cut on her forehead, 12 stab wounds on her neck, so severe that she was nearly decapitated. Holy cow. 13 defensive cut cuts on her hands and forearms, proving she'd put up a good fight before succumbing. So she had fought the hell out of this Well, good for her. Yeah. Good for her for that. Luckily, there was no evidence of sexual assault on either of the victims. Okay, good. So that's good. In the car, in the garage, the gas cap was removed and was on the floor, along with a section of garden hose that appeared to have been cut with shears, presumably to siphon gas is what- Oh, okay, okay. What I assumed. The fire was set. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Someone's going to set these people on fire and they can't even bring their own gas. They didn't even bring their own gas. Yeah. I mean. (laughs) I know. Well, was that really just because it wasn't thought out or was it, you know, it was like a last minute. Like, okay. I'll let that go. Because I I should try to burn this place down. It's like a guy who asks you out on a date and then is like, oh, I forgot my wallet. Can you pay? (laughs) You know, I'm just like, wow, man, bring your own damn gas. Bring your own gas at least. (laughs) Right? Little shit. Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. Right? There's probably a method to the madness. Well, yeah. I'm assuming maybe it was (laughs) not thought of beforehand and was like a last minute thought. Maybe. That's possible. Okay. You'll let it go. Okay. I'll let it go. So, let it go. Bring your own fire. damn gas. Bring your- <laughs> Get smart, people. If you're going to kill somebody. Right, die. exactly. So the fire was set in Michelle's bedroom, but it didn't reach all the way to Susie's bedroom. So okay. it went out before then. And the slayings occurred sometime between 11.30 p.m. on January 13th when the mom and daughter returned from a shopping trip. Like, I never shopped that late. My mom would have not let me go out that way. What stores are open till that late? I don't know. But this is Omaha, so maybe it's it's crazy cool malls <laughs> crazy <laughs> those those people from omaha they shop late they, they go to <laughs> nothing, like nothing opens before 11 a.m it's all late night that's right <laughs> what? What? Maybe, yeah the time of the fire was reported at 5 22 a.m so there was a window between 11 30 and 5 22 the killings could have happened and between okay. when, when the fire was discovered okay okay so Susie was said to have a troubled relationship with her son mike Okay. And a couple months before her death, Mike had moved in with his maternal grandparents instead of staying at home with verbally abusive Susie. With verbal, well, right, good for him. Which makes <laughs> sense. But after the slaying, detectives interviewed about 50 people, including relatives, friends, neighbors, and officials from Michelle's school. And they had several calls of suspicious individuals in the area of the deaths that they said they checked out, but fairly quickly they set their sights on 16 year old Mike. Oh, really? Yeah. 16-year-old Mike was the main They think he suspect? did it. Okay. And the reason was because Susan had a life insurance policy that paid between $10,000 and $20,000 in case of accidental death that all would be going to her son. And he knew, like, he knew, I okay. He didn't Maybe know it's just it. me. Okay, because, like, I don't know. I'm trying to remember, like, when I was 16. Mm-hmm. I didn't know if my parents had, like, a life insurance no. policy. Like, like, this was not I something that, that I thought about. No. Right. I don't even know if I have anything <laughs> now. Right, exactly. But I don't know that then. Now, that just seems like yeah. you know. I've heard about like husbands and wives doing that, and mm-hmm. you know, or like married, or like the 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 grandparents. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? But rarely do you hear of a teenager going for yeah. a life insurance policy. That's a new one. Yeah, and being that cunning. 
Ever. This case has a lot of interesting Already. things. I know. Mm-hmm. Insane. So detectives began interviews with Mike only hours after his mom and sister's bodies were discovered. So he's probably already like, holy shit, what happened? Right? The detectives got such tunnel vision focusing on Mike that they may have overlooked others who could have been good. I hate when I hear about that. I hate when I hear about that. Yeah. And I guess I wish I knew more what it would be like to be a detective to see how that would feel. Because maybe it's like, oh, I know this is the person, you know, this gut feeling. You just, right. How much of it is gut feeling and how much of it. Or maybe it's just that we've we've seen too many movies and TV shows where like they they emphasize that that, could that now we're all yeah, that could now definitely I'm all be part of it. But one of the detectives admitted that Mike was suspect from the very beginning, and there were plenty of reasons for that. He was Detective Roberts was quoted as saying, "quote It was not what you'd normally find in a stranger related crime. The evidence led us to believe that it was someone known to the family or very close to the family." Unquote. Okay, That's, which makes sense because of all the. I mean, it seems super personal to oh yeah stab I someone just, that many times and to suffocate. Oh, that would mean that he killed his little sister. His little sister, which is really hard to imagine. Oh my gosh! I mean, and you know, oh. Bridget knew them very well, and it doesn't sound like it was a violent family in that way or anything, you know. And he didn't seem that disturbed to have possibly thought of something like that, but and it. I'll have to ask her, but I don't remember ever hearing her say that Mike and Michelle never got along. So yeah, yeah, that's a pretty that's a pretty personal way to kill somebody too. Very. You know? So, but investigators found no f- signs of forced entry to the house, and Mike possibly had a key, as you would think he probably would, since he used. Well, to I, yes, I would hope he had a key. Yeah. Um, investigators said the divorce of Mike's parents had a huge impact on him. They just weren't sure of what that what may have possibly led him to act, but they were determined to make him pay for it. And they used every detail they gathered about him, making it fit the narrative they were creating. Oh, I hate hearing that shit too. I know. <laughs> that drives me crazy. I we know. can make it fit. Yes. So mm-hmm. he was a sophomore in high school at the time of the murders. Both Bridget, who submitted the story, and I have 16-year-old sense. And neither of us, when we were talking about this, could imagine a kid of that age having the knowledge or maturity to carry out murders in the fashion that he did without leading a ton of evidence or bragging about it to friends. Right, you know, okay. Something. So I don't have a 16-year-old <clears throat> boy, okay? But, I, I mean, I, I remember myself being 15 and 16 and the handful of times I attempted to get away with stuff and they were, <laughs> you know, this, this was just... I said I was going one place and went someplace else. <laughs> yeah. And the Teenagers. stupid shit that I did where I got myself caught. I mean, there's no way in hell. Okay. There's no. just no I mean, way. Yeah. yeah. Oh, so th- they're okay. kind of making them out to be this mastermind, you know? I'm and I'm sorry. 16 year olds are mastermind is not the word that not comes usually. that no. comes to mind when you think of no. 16 year old. I've heard a couple stories. In fact, I watched one recently of a kid who had, who was 16 and pulled off a bad crime like that. But he did get caught eventually for it. So I guess it's possible, but it'd be hard to imagine. Okay. Uh, yeah. Obviously, I am not of that caliber. I no. mean, like, I yeah. I remember I was 15. My best friend was 16. So she had just gotten her license. And rather than go to the movies, like we said we were going to where we had permission <laughs> to go, we were going to take the car and we went to the river walk because, you know, that's where all the teenagers hung out. Oh, you know, we were going to go look for boys. Yeah. So we were going to, yeah. 
right, all the hotties, right, <laughs> with their pimply faces and stuff, right? So we went there, and being the geniuses that we were, she parked the car, and we went and we walked around, and then we're like, okay, we better get home because we don't want them to think anything, and we couldn't get the car to start. Oh, no. And mm-hmm. after we couldn't, you know, so we finally had to call and be like, okay, so the car won't start. Like, all right, we'll be there in a minute. Okay, you, uh, we're yeah, not exactly uh, at the movies. <laughs> We're kind of somewhere else entirely, right? And so as we're sitting there trying to figure out what the hell we could have done to the car, and she's sitting there going, oh my God, my dad's gonna kill me, my dad's gonna kill me, was when we realized that she had forgotten to put the car into park. (laughs) (laughs) So we went in her car (laughs) because it wasn't in gear. And we literally, she's like, shit. It's just not in park. She uh, puts it into park. She starts it. It starts up, and her dad pulls up. And we're oh like, my god! Fuck. So you gave yourselves away for nothing. Yeah. Okay. Uh. So to think <laughs> that I could have gotten away with anything remotely like that. <laughs> Wouldn't have been possible. I'm fascinated by the possibility that there was a 16 year old that could pull this off. Yeah, I can't even imagine it. Damn. Okay. So investigators couldn't find anyone who saw Mike in the area of his mother's house before the slayings or the morning after. His body and clothing were checked for burns, blood, and the odor of gasoline the day the bodies were found, but. None of that was found, and Mike had no injuries, which you remember she fought his mother viciously. So something, there would have been injuries. Right. And I I personally have never had any dealings with gasoline where I have not gotten some of of it on me. Every freaking time I I pump gas, I get, I step in it, something. And I smell right. it the so whole way I find home. that hard. Right, yeah. I, I find it hard to believe that if you're like, you know, splashing it around a house. Yeah, you would have got. You know. Line. However, a detective took a pair of Michael's jeans from his grandparents' house that were greasy and oily and had what appeared to be spots of blood on them. The blood spot, in quotes, was sent to a crime lab for testing, but the results weren't made clear to the public. So nothing ever came of that. So I'm assuming okay. it probably wasn't. Also, keep in mind, this is um, 1989 and advancements in DNA were quite a ways off. Okay, um, right. Plus, I feel like a 16-year-old kid, especially oh, yeah. then when cars, you know, you could work mm-hmm. on your own cars more than you can now. Everything's like electronic and stuff. People use... Are you so like to have a pair of jeans Because... With like, <laughs> with, you know, that kind of stuff? Yeah. I think you're psychic because this kid does work on cars. See, I'm telling you, yeah. 16-year-old kid, you know, working yeah. on his own car... Exactly. Red also happens to be a paint color. I don't yeah. know if people know this. Yeah. But, okay. These I should have been investigating this story. You should have feel like <laughs> I feel like you're getting all these details that Sorry. they needed to get. So they were more dependent in that time on blood typing and fiber analysis at this point. And a police sergeant who was sitting in his car outside the house the morning the bodies were found said he observed Mike talking to other teens across the street and that he was smiling and acting as if nothing was wrong. And he was questioned for six or seven hours initially, right after his, his family was found dead. So That's awful. So he's trying to say, oh, he was just, he didn't give a shit. But we will hear more. He was arrested, Michael was arrested a few months after the deaths and went to trial for two counts of murder. This is the kid? This is the 16 year old boy. Yes. Why? This, I, I know. Isn't the first person like that they suspect usually like a spouse? Stop jumping ahead, Jen. You're going to totally okay, figure this thing out. <laughs> oh my sorry. God. I'm like, this is, this is so bizarre. We okay, I'm going to shut up and listen. T- no, we should have <clears> said I'm going to investigate this. What the hell? At this point, many in the community, including 13-year-old Bridget, believed it was Michael because they believe the cops. The cops are doing their jobs. Well, right. You, the, 
a 13 That's their kid, job. You're mourning your best friend. Of course, you're hoping they get the killer. So, but if convicted, he would be sentenced to life in prison as a 16-year-old oh kid. As a 16-year-old. His lawyer tried to have his case transferred to juvenile court, but it was denied by the judge. And Mike pleaded not guilty. But it gets, it gets deeper. So Iris Carter, the victim Susan's sister-in-law. So this is Susan's sister. Susan's Susan, sister. Susie, her sister-in-law okay. and, and Mike's aunt. Said, oh, okay, right. Yeah, okay. So uh, said she found her nephew and three or four of his friends at his grandparents' home when she went there the morning after the murders. She said she stopped police tape at the sister's house and went to her parents' house to find out what happened. So she didn't know yet. Okay. She claimed she asked Mike what happened and he told her, the bitch is dead. What more doesn't matter. What do you want me to say? My mother and sister are dead. Whoa, that's pretty yeah. harsh. Yeah. That's, damn. I, yeah. You know, even even with fights between like teenagers and parents, that's, I mean. It's pretty harsh. That's harsh. But Iris and her husband all testified that they heard Michael say negative comments about his mother the day of the deaths. After initially being questioned by police, Mike's uncle, who was Susan's brother, Susan's mom that was killed, his name's Arthur, he testified that Mike told him that, quote, they, referring to the investigators, almost had me talked into saying I killed the bitch, unquote. I know. Wow. Harsh language. Wow. His uncle asked him what he told them, and Mike said, they tried to say I tried to kill her, meaning his mom. Mm Mm-hmm. And Iris, his aunt, said that on the same night, she overheard him tell his grandma and another aunt about the police questioning. She said she heard him say that the police almost, quote, had me believing I did it. I don't know if I did it. They had me scared, unquote. Damn. So. And he was probably questioned without a lawyer. Yes. God, quit it. You you have this whole thing figured out (laughs) ahead of time. I'm just like. (laughs) Well, I'm, a 16-year-old kid should not be no. getting, like, persuaded into giving a, a, a no, uh, a what's that called? A conf- yes, mm-hmm. a statement or a confession without a lawyer exactly. or a peasant. Or at He's least underage. Mm-hmm. Holy crap. Oh, my God. Yes. Okay. And this is shit. Okay. I know. It's deep. It, it makes you pissed. I had to keep um, stopping when I was reading it because I was getting so pissed. Like, yeah. yeah. During another conversation with Michael, Iris said she asked him how he was getting along with his dad, and he replied that it was fine. Quote, he should like me now that I've saved him $400 a month, unquote. I'm assuming he's... <laughs> I know. I'm assuming he's referring to child support here. I don't know. Right. Oh, my God. Alimony or something? But something. Damn. Cold. I, oh, my That'd God. Be really cold. so cold. But she so said teenagers they, can be evil. They can. But, you know, with I mean, not really just, there's, you know. There's more right. I mean, info. Okay. They're not okay. really evil, but. Right. Yeah. You know, they're they like toddlers old. can be. I mean, like toddlers can be evil. Mean girls. We, yeah. Toddlers. Oh, yeah. Can, all kids. <laughs> all kids. All kids can be assholes. Speaking from personal experience. <laughs> it's true. It's all true. children are assholes. <laughs> <laughs> Please do not repeat that quote on the air. <laughs> <laughs> they can be. So she said they also talked about insurance, and he said, $20,000 for 20 years isn't too bad, and when I get out, I'll have $200,000. So I'm guessing he, he either is bad at math, or... I was just going to say, too, this kid. <laughs> like me. Or he's saying he'd put the money in the savings and have that much when he got out of prison, but if he goes... So this, this 16-year-old is a criminal mastermind 
and a financial wizard. Is that what we're supposed to <laughs> I think that's what we're supposed to believe. Yes. Okay. Because he's like, he's also like the wolf of Wall Street. Right. And he's going to invest. <laughs> yes. Like, After committing these amazing murders. Yes. I'm going to get out. I'm going to be what? Then he'd be like, what? 36? Yeah. 37? If he thinks 20 years, but that wouldn't happen. Right. And yeah. I'm going to get out and I'm going to be like, gonna be rich. Yeah, I don't know. And I'm going to have like the cool car. I don't know. This is, this is ridiculous. <laughs> I'm going to get a Ferrari. Totally ridiculous. Yeah. I'll be out in time for my midlife crisis. Yes. Perfect. <laughs> and, I'll be able, and I'll be able to afford my Corvette. It'll be great. <laughs> With my bald head. Yes. So. <laughs> my bald head. Hey, but if it's, if, what is it called? With the, where you take the top down. Um, oh, I thought you were talking about like Convertible. <laughs> I thought you were talking about the men's bald head and like, like what my husband gets where it's just, you only grow hair around the sides. Around the sides. No, I meant like the the convertibles are good because if you have the bald head, you don't have to worry about the windblown hair. No, I'm calling that hairstyle the convertible. Now, from now on, the one where it's just missing all the middle and you can only grow on the I thought the convertible was when they have a toupee and the wind grabs it and blows it back. (laughs) Me too. Oh, okay, sorry, we've gone off on quite the tangent. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. All right, future Mike. <laughs> so Iris also testified that Mike never did admit to doing anything wrong to her. But Michael's grandfather testified that his daughter, the victim, Susan, had right. discipline problems with her son and that they argued. He said it wasn't anything violent. However, Arthur, the uncle, said he did see Michael swing at his mother after she slapped him during an argument at their home. He said he stepped between them and stopped the argument, and he said they didn't get along and they fought constantly. Which, I mean... Okay, is any of that good and healthy? No. no. Is it completely Perfect. unheard of? Right. Not also, at all. No. There's, yeah, there's so, a far yeah. cry between mm-hmm. you're mad at your mom, or you know, you have a smart mouth and she smacks yeah. you, and then you step in towards her, and then there's like actually suffocating your mom and your sister yeah. there's like i feel like there's a big there's gap a there big it would take a i don't think you okay that I mean, there's... so but a friend of michael's 17 year old carol testified that she saw michael the night after the slayings and said quote you could tell he was very upset he appeared hurt like he didn't want to cry in front of his friends unquote i would think she would know him better because at, mm-hmm. at that age you know your friends your friends right know you better than your parents do no, I, I would agree with that. And, you know, I would think that mm-hmm. he would be upset. And even though that was a completely legit reason to be upset and cry in front of your friends, you're still 16 and you have yeah, to maintain trying a to certain tough. amount of coolness. Yes. And plus, I think I kind of got the gist that she might have been an ex-girlfriend of his. So, <gasps> oh, oh, you, you know. can't. No, no, no. Well, even then. although... Although there's that whole thing of that'd be a really good way to get back with the Ooh, ex-girlfriend. That's true. Good you know, point. the vulnerable yes, thing vulnerable and the I'm boy. hurting and all that. Yeah. He he may have really missed a big opportunity. Yeah. He could have played that up more. Mm. Son. Mm. Unless she was the crazy ex-girlfriend. However, Again, tangent. Sorry. Yes. That is what makes this fun. Because we couldn't <laughs> we could not deal with the heaviness of the subject if we couldn't have tangents. It's the so. only way to deal with the <laughs> heaviness of the subject. Me. So Okay, so Mike's uncle Arthur also said that at a luncheon after the funeral of his mother and sister, he saw Mike clowning around and that he heard him say, quote, I don't know why everybody's so sad. This is a celebration, unquote. Okay, but this is Iris and <laughs> Arthur who are saying all this. I know. During the trial, Mike's friend Carol 
said, this is the, the ex- crazy ex-girlfriend. I, I assume. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. But this is the gist I got out of. But, but she said the night of the deaths, she was with Mike and three other friends watching a movie at one of their houses. She said she and Mike left together and stood in the driveway talking until shortly after 2 a.m. when he left on foot. Mike's grandfather testified that he w- awoke at about 7.05 in the morning and heard a radio report about a fire in the area near his daughter's house. So he woke his wife and she tried calling Susan, but got a busy signal. Mike's grandparents decided then at that point to go check on Susan. And when his grandpa walked past a utility room where Mike slept, it looked like his bed was empty, but he really couldn't see because he went by there in such a hurry and it was dark in the room because he was in a hurry to go check on Yeah, I, hmm. Okay, so back to the story. So his aunt and uncle are making him look really suspicious during the trial. And I'm What's guessing- that? That's yeah, so weird. It is okay. a little. So, and I'm guessing this hearsay is what made police really hone in on him as a suspect because they were okay. telling him all this stuff at the beginning. But Rose, who is Mike's grandmother and his other aunt named Donna, testified that Arthur, who is the, this, Arthur's the uncle, the victim's- The uncle. Brother, yeah. And right. Iris, that they sometimes embellished the truth and fabricated stories. And a cousin oh. and a friend of Mike's took the stand to dispute with what Iris and Arthur had claimed they'd heard Mike say. They were present when the discussion took place, and they said they never heard him say, that bitch is dead, what does it matter? They what? Said, yeah. This is his okay, Rule number one of embellishing stories is you can't have other people there. They can dispute <laughs> what you said. Like, duh. Like, <laughs> duh. Yeah. Come on. What are you trying to get attention for, too? God. So. The 16-year-old mastermind has this down better than they do. I know. (laughs) It's true. They they suck at this. His friends said they would remember hearing him say something like that. And they even testified that they didn't hear him make any negative comments when Iris had arrived. So when the aunt had said that she heard all this negative talk about his mom, she hadn't said it. Yeah. If my friend's parents or parent or whatever and family had just been hurt or murdered or whatever I, I would very much remember if my friend Absolutely. was like the bitch is dead like i wouldn't yeah. remember that you'd shit. be like holy <laughs> shit i'm out of here yeah right exactly and another friend testified that mike was so upset he was crying when he called his friend to tell him about the slayings and the friend's mother testified that mike was extremely distraught that he came over to their house and they all stood there hugging and crying and that, all of see, these, that seems yes. more reasonable. See, okay. It sounds way more realistic than the bitches did. Yeah, that just doesn't even sound like a kid. I mean, it does to their friends if they're talking about other stuff besides right, death. Right. But so all of these friends said they were with Mike most of the morning of the sad news, and they testified that they tried to cheer him up some. They said he may have smiled while the group was outside his mom's home, but there was no joking or laughing about the deaths, like the cop had said he witnessed. Right, but that's what people, do. like right now, right. we're making light of the situation. Yes. It's how people cope. Yes, they try to make each other this feel is, better. <laughs> Kelly, this is normal. <laughs> we're we're normal? doing this completely Oh my normal. God, we're so normal. I right. don't think we're normal. Well, well, well oh, this, my cat just meowed. <laughs> you are not normal. Okay, I can't listen anymore. I can't just stand by and let you just blatantly embellish like that. Okay? Embellishing the truth again. <laughs> Fabricating stories. Should I call you Iris? 
Yes. <laughs> Should I call you Iris? My next cat is now going to be named Iris. Oh I just God. have to tell you. That'd be a great cat name. I love it. it. I like that one. Okay. And then every time it would meow at me, I'd be like, are you embellishing stories again? <laughs> again with it, Iris. <laughs> Good God, your drama. <laughs> uh, Iris. So early in the evening on the night of the murders, a friend was with Mike at his grandparents' house and testified that he and Mike were working on a car in the garage <gasps> when Susan stopped by to borrow some wrenches. He said that <laughs> Susan and Mike had a lighthearted conversation and neither was angry with the other at the time. And this is the night of the murders. The night so of the murders. He said they were joking <clears throat> around with each other and they weren't angry at each other at all. Evidence. So evidence that the investigator said pointed to Michael was that yellow acrylic glove found on or near Susan's body. It had a spot of type A blood on it, which is the same blood type as Michael and millions of other people. Right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I am too. Oh, uh, it was me. Uh, wait, I would, I would have been also 12 at the time. 13. So the garden. Hey, if a 16 year old can pull this off. <laughs> mastermind. Don't sell yourself short, Kelly. I know. <laughs> I just didn't have that. I also, I, I that lived idea. several states away and. Yeah. yeah. That's true. And you probably had a curfew. But anyway. Yeah, good point. It did. The garden hose that they assumed was used to siphon the gas from the car also tested positive for saliva that came from a person with type A blood. Because at this time, they didn't have any DNA. And I looked it up. And A blood type is one of the most common. I think it said something like one in six people have that type of blood. So Yeah, that's not good evidence. That's... (laughs) You can't do that. I could have almost been anyone. Um, Michael had cut his hand while working on a car engine that day before the death. So the police were claiming that that's why his, in quotes, blood was on the glove. They had also taken fingernail scrapings from under Michael's nails and found fibers that they said were consistent with those from the glove. And a crime scene lab tech testified she positively identified a left palm print found on Susan's car as that of Mike's. But, but it's his mom's car. Exactly. He was like he was a stranger. It. Yeah. <laughs> right. Back in the late 80s and early 90s, fiber analysis was something Wait, what did you say? Niners? Niners. Niners. That's the uh, Western way to speak out here. <laughs> My dad always says Monday, Tuesday. <laughs> so that's me. I'm just pulling out the old okay, Niners. Yeah, meaners. Okay, so in the 80s and the 90s, 90s, what happened? <laughs> What? So much happened. Uh, There was, so fiber analysis back then was something that was often used, but in looking more up more info on it, it's now thought to be an unreliable method of analysis. So that's why you really don't hear of it being used that much because now it's known that hair fiber samples that look identical, even under high powered microscopes, could come from a number of individuals or sources. Well, yeah, because you're asking for human eyes to like detect stuff microscopes it doesn't yeah even even with the microscope they can't tell so it can was that the cat arguing with it also yeah yeah (laughs) i I distinctly heard bullshit (laughs) in cat language (laughs) yeah but it can be used to narrow the field of potential suspect but this method now isn't usually used to pinpoint an offender and it's definitely not as reliable as dna yeah, it's oh. just to, like, rule stuff out now. Oh, yeah. In Mike's trial, a forensics expert testified that acrylic is a common fiber, even then, and that fibers taken from the glove and Michael were too small for further comparison testing. See, there you go. Yes. And Mike's lawyer rebuffed these remarks by pointing out 
that Susan had fought her assailant, not rebuffed the remarks of the glove, but rebuffed the remarks of how he wasn't injured. Because so mm. he, Michael's lawyer pointed out that Susan had fought her assailant as evidenced by many of the defense room wounds on her wrists and arms, and her assailant mm-hmm. would likely have been injured, but Mike had no injuries. Yeah, there'd be something. There'd be something, anything. I mean, especially having a knife that you always hear in the shows we watch constantly. Yeah. The blood mm-hmm. is very slippery and your hand slips down and you often cut yourself. Hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Sometimes in the leg. Yeah. Killing to yourself. your death. <laughs> Like some spoiler alert. <laughs> some previous episode we've done. And if you've ever exactly. heard it, you better go listen to them all. You better go back because yeah. it can happen. It can. <laughs> you can die. You can kill yourself accidentally. So when investigators questioned Michael the day after the murders for several hours, they told him he was a suspect. And when questioning his friends, they accused them of lying and hiding information and trying to convince the boys that Mike had committed the murders. One boy who was 17 at the time testified that detectives screamed and swore at him and told him he would go to prison. They were also oh, what? I know. <laughs> Unless you tell us that Mike did it. I don't know. Oh my God. <laughs> but they were also examined for inju- injuries during their interviews. Uh, Mike's attorney during the trial claimed that he was not fully advised of his rights when he was questioned before and after his arrest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> And the jurors heard the transcript of the tape recording of the interrogations, which revealed the detectives using a tactic we've talked about before. If you haven't checked out Thistle lately and you love Halloween as much as we do, you are missing out. I love the vintage style devil mug, especially when paired with the exclusive Thistle Blend coffee. I'm partial to the decor that can go inside or out like the witch in the cauldron sign that says, come in my pretties. (laughs) Yes, so cute. And the pastel handcrafted skulls that I would and totally do display at my house all year round. Oh, yes, for sure. And I feel like I need that zombie horse mask to make sure that people are following social distancing rules. I would definitely stay away from anyone wearing that. Absolutely. Well, you can get all the things for 10% off on thistlewellington.com by using code ODFM at checkout. I'll be shopping right after we're done with this story. So back to the story. On the taped interrogation, detectives lied to Mike in order to obtain a confession. Weird. We never heard this before. No, they don't do that. No. They told him they had evidence that pointed to him as the killer of his mom and sister. They showed him the yellow glove found on his mom's body, told him that a hair and spot of blood on it had been positively identified as belonging to him. He was also told that his friends... Uh, oh, no, that they were his friends and they, they could trust him, them, the cops. Of course. They could totally what a, okay. trust us. <clears throat> we're your friends. Oh, God. Always ask for a lawyer. I know. And they oh hammered God, at him. For it's so true. And they hammered at him for hours upon hours. And Michael continued to emphatically deny any involvement. Oh, my God. Quoting the detective, quote, he said, he said that if he did it, he didn't remember it, but he didn't think he did do it, unquote. So they're like super confusing this kid. Mike cried twice during the questioning. The first time he talked about his mom and how she didn't have have much, but she tried to give him the best, which doesn't sound like a kid that hates his mom, let alone his little sister. Testimony indicated that interviews were recorded without Mike knowing. And at one point- Yeah, that's not allowed either, right? Right. 
Is it? And, oh, I don't know. I think so. So, <clears throat> I mean, he would have no reason to be trying to fake all this stuff either if he didn't think it was right. being recorded. I but, still want to know what they possible, what possible motive that they think he would have to kill his little sister. Yeah. It just don't. doesn't make any sense. I know. I just don't get it. At one point in the interview, the detective said, quote, Mike, I'm your salvation. If you don't tell me your story now, Mike, your story will never be heard, unquote. Like, <laughs> what? What kind it's of salvation are you? Such like, a load of crap. I know. Oh, my oh, God. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Please. A portion of the transcript goes as followed. Detective. Jesus, I wish I could get into your mind and help you get rid of this. I want to be your friend. I want to understand you, Mike. I don't even understand myself. <laughs> it's totally me. Okay, okay. I'm, I'm sorry. With right you, now, Mike. this sounds like one of those really bad after-school specials right now. <laughs> this is really bad. I'm acting out the parts of it. Oh, yeah. okay, okay. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Said the detective, I want to help you get over this hurdle, Mike. I just don't know how or what happened. Detective, it's utterly important that you remember, Mike. It's not there. It's not there anywhere in my mind. Because he didn't do it. Because <laughs> this poor kid. I oh know. my God. I, oh God. You I know. Are kidding me? I know. And reading it, I was picturing my 16 year old and how confused and scared. Oh, right? and it just makes me want well, to reach out and, and hug him. They're police and they're adults yeah. and they're supposed to be the good guys. Yeah. And, and then so you start shitless. to question yourself. Yeah. I mean, that's, um, what is that? That's um, making a murderer. Yeah. Gaslighting. <laughs> Gaslighting. You're right. Yes. But right? I, I mean, that's abuse. And this poor kid's already been abused. Oh, my I God. Know. I know. <clears throat> but it's amazing how strong he was. He didn't give in ever and make Good something up. To stop the interrogations, like most of them probably would have made it yes. up. You know, there's a whole show on Netflix about there, isn't it? Yeah. That is it, the confession tapes or something like yeah. that. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. insane. Another detective confirmed that they frequently suggested to Mike that he had been angry with his mother because she wouldn't let him come home. So they were feeding him a motive, but Mike replied, but "That's crap." I'm I know. Oh my god, that's such crap. And that could be completely true. Like those things can be completely isolated yeah. things yeah, yeah. But i was pissed not at gonna murder like, somebody over it yeah right and especially a little girl but i like Mike, just leaving her out of the picture altogether yeah. like she just oh, wasn't yeah. okay yeah because <sighs> i think they know he couldn't have done it right but mike replied that he felt he could go home at any time and he wasn't mad at his mom so he was keeping his cool i don't know how but at one point the detectives left the room telling mike to write down what had happened mike wrote that he was with his friends the night before the slings watching movies that he went to his grandparents' house and went to sleep. And his written statement had no admissions to the murders at all. And when the detectives came back, the following exchange took place. Mike said, if I did it, I don't know why. The detective, we've got to find out. I'm saying that that for you, buddy, if for nothing else, for your own defense. And Mike says, if I did it, I didn't mean to do it. Isn't that sad? Oh my God, that's so sad. Plus, don't teenagers have like a bit of like grown up bullshit like meters where they can tell where they're like, you are so full of crap. This is not want to be my friend. And this is why. Don't don't they know when they're like, you're you're trying to be my friend and you're a grown up and you're not cool. You're not being my friend. Yeah. (laughs) You're trying to say I killed somebody. This is why at this point I was like, I always thought I would love to be a detective. But at this point I was like, now I know why I couldn't be because I'd be hugging him and crying and being like, it's okay. Right. 
Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think they frown upon that. <laughs> yeah. So this part, is Kelly, we're going to have to, um, we're going <laughs> to have to have you to, we're going to have to ask you to stop hugging the suspect. <laughs> um, I know he's upset, but he's kind of in here for murder. Um, and so I'm going to need you to stop bringing him cupcakes and water. <laughs> but it, that part reminded me so much of the Making a Murderer TV show. Like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Confusing the teens so much during questioning that they don't oh even know God. what's real anymore. And it Ugh. doesn't occur to them that maybe the police are lying. Yeah. They're just like, oh my God, you have evidence? Really? How then, did I do that? What I did I do? remember. Yeah. It, oh. But during the interview, Mike several times said that he wouldn't hurt his mom or sister and that he loved them both. And at one point he said he wanted to call his grandparents, but he wasn't allowed to make the call. His lawyer yeah. said I know, that Mike asked twice to stop the questioning, but the detectives would just leave the room and a different detective would come in and continue the interrogation. Well, that's not so, how that works. No, I <laughs> looked it up. to swap them out. <laughs> no, and I looked it up about the law requ- regarding questioning children by law enforcement. Police can question a child without a parent present and are not required to obtain permission from a parent before questioning the child. But children themselves can refuse to be questioned and can request a lawyer or a parent to be present any time during the questioning. And as soon as, as, long they, as they ask know that for they someone, can ask that. Yeah, they have to they know, though. are required to bring... But he did. He asked for his grandparents. <clears throat> he asked to call them. And they <gasps> and refused. And that counts. Mm-hmm. And they refused. So that was basically, I think, against the law. They never Does said Does he have a our- weird relationship with his dad? Why didn't he call his dad? Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're like, Mike's father? Oh. <laughs> All right, here we go. Also oh, named right. Michael. He makes, a, he makes yes. an appearance in this exactly. story. They say he was questioned during the trial. He said Susan would occasionally call him to her house when she was having disciplinary problems with their son. He said that during those visits, he didn't see any physical or verbal arguments between the mother and son. Quote, she would tell him to do the dishes and he would say no. She would tell him to clean up his room and he would say no. That was about the extent of it. Unquote. They also asked. Sounds like my kid. <laughs> oh my God. This is Bailey <laughs> with mine. Yes. And there's nothing you can do when they're taller, bigger than you. So. <laughs> let's say, because I'll I've tried. Your video games. It's true. Right. Exactly. They also asked him whether he referred to Susan as, quote, the bitch. He replied, no way. <laughs> but I found this part to be a bit disturbing. So the night after the discovery with the murders, Michael Sr. said that he and his son argued when police investigators came to question Michael Sr. They exchanged words, and Michael Sr. claims his son told him, quote, if I was going to kill anybody, I'd kill you, Dad. Unquote. Oh! Yeah! <laughs> so, wow. their relationship was apparently strained. Yes. It was apparently strained. But then again, then again, that is something that a teenager would say, but totally. not necessarily act on. <laughs> totally. Again, you know, yeah. just... Lawyers asked Mike Sr. whether he asked Mike Jr. if he'd committed the murders. He said he did for his own personal satisfaction, and that Mike said, I didn't do it, Dad. I didn't do it. And Mike Sr. talked to investigators about a dozen times. He said he called detectives several times to report on his son's behavior, feeling it was necessary to notify them when something important turned up. He also said it didn't matter if... He also said it didn't matter if what he told investigators hurt or helped his son. He was just doing his duty as a... Okay, that's a load of crap right there. (laughs) I know. What kind of parent is that? I know. Wouldn't you... I don't... I think any parent would probably protect their kid, but... Right? 
notes. I mean, but it, it was the dad. He didn't have it the was whole the mama dad. bear thing. True. You know. That's true. Like, we need to hold you accountable, son. Yeah. Right. I, but, but still. I know. Oh it just God. seems a little off. Yeah, that's not right. Yeah. Rose, uh, Michael's grandma, she testified that she heard no one leave or enter her house after Mike went to bed at, at about 3.30 a.m. on the night of the slings. She was up because her husband works late and being the good, sweet wife she was, she fixes meals for him when he gets home after midnight every night. Damn. She's a <laughs> nice wife. dedication. I know. And she... My husband up. gets home off after midnight all the time. Yeah. And you're like, and my ass is asleep. I'm going to bed. Get yourself your own damn snack. But she had been up doing dishes after having cooked a giant meal. Um, when Mike got home and he was upbeat, telling her that he had talked to an old girlfriend after watching movies with friends. Remember how that one girl crazy said that they were girlfriend, yeah, that they were outside on the driveway <clears throat> talking, talking, so, mm-hmm. so that matches talking, talking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she <laughs> went to so Rose, the grandma, went to bed after that, but returned to the kitchen about three forty-five a.m. to get a drink of water. And Mike's light was out and his radio was playing. About two and a half hours later is when the bodies were found. Mm. Uh, Yeah, that doesn't seem to really fit with the whole timeline there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and Rose also said she didn't sleep very well because that night she had drunk coffee at bingo earlier in the (laughs) evening, which will ruin a good night's sleep if I've ever heard of it. I hear you, Rose. I feel the same (laughs) way. I cannot have coffee. No nope. bingo anymore. So she, yep. Not at all. So she said I've learned she, my lesson. So yes. yeah. So Rose was like, <laughs> she would have totally heard the door if anyone had left because her sleep was so fitful. So all right. yeah. Okay. If I had I had coffee that. at bingo and my husband got home around, you know, 12, one o'clock, I'd be like, eh, I guess yeah. I can make you something to eat. I'll, I'll make it. <laughs> yeah. I'll do the dishes and then I'll hang out with the grandkid. Yeah. Oh God. So, okay. And she was asked about Mike's behavior after the slayings, whether he acted inappropriately. And she explained that he was so full of grief and that she couldn't believe the cops were saying he did it. After the two-week trial and just under a year from the anniversary of the slayings, the mood was super tense in the courtroom. Jurors had heard from 51 witnesses, 51 witnesses, that's a lot, and yeah. reviewed more than 90 items of evidence. After only five hours of deliberations, the jurors were ready to present their verdict. Mike Anglum sat beside his lawyer with his head bowed and his hands covering his face. He took a St. Michael's medallion from a relative sitting behind him and put it on to face the jury. Oh, I know. It gives me chills. As the first not guilty verdict was read, Mike's relatives clapped and cheered, and Mike's lawyer turned to him and hugged him. Mike cried as the second not guilty verdict was announced. Some jurors also cried as Mike got up and hugged his family. He said, I can't even move. I'm so numb. I know. Don't cry. I see you almost I'm ready I'm to fine. cry. Okay. I'm okay. I'm okay. So he got, he got acquitted. So as for the case, there's been no further movement that I could find at all. The county attorney said they wouldn't pursue the case unless new evidence came in. They said the case is closed unless something else comes forward. And the family said they had talked about asking the police to reopen the case after the trial, but they doubted the killer or killers would ever be found. What? I know. Mike's lawyers criticized the police investigation, saying the detectives were so focused on Mike that they failed to check on possible other suspects. I got another one. Yeah. Hi. Yeah. And as I know, as far as Bridget is concerned, though she originally, as a child, believed Mike had been guilty, she doesn't anymore. She does wonder about Michael Sr. 
So was he skipped over because he was a firefighter and affiliated with police and his public service? And was he really thoroughly investigated? Or I don't know, but there was very oh little God. very little information. I mean, they barely even mentioned the dad in everything. Yeah, that's so crazy. I mean, uh, yeah. Not that it's easier to think that a father could kill their daughter before they could get, but there's, uh, is more, I don't want to say common, but it's, it, it, it makes more sense. You know what I mean? Sense. Like, yeah. you know, um, and it doesn't sound like he was really involved. I mean, when he decided mm-hmm. he didn't, like when Mike Jr. didn't want to live at home anymore, he didn't go live with his dad. Right. He went and lived with his, not just grandparents, maternal grandparents. Right. right. You know, obviously there was some weird shit going on there. Mm-hmm. Um, There was not really a connection, uh, apparently. And the fire kind of brings up. I'm sorry, the fire. Right. Because he's a firefighter. So he knows about, I mean. And it could have been he wanted the bodies to be found quickly. Right. Not saying it's him, but it could have been. No. I wonder if he knew that Mike Jr. wasn't living at home anymore. Did he know that he lived at his grandparents' house? Was he just trying to. just spitballing motives like you know this man doesn't want to be have this previous family anymore or whatever yeah like like had he been there right i don't know oh my gosh so many questions i I know yeah and i didn't find any information about whether susan was dating and you know it could have been someone outside the family right what if she was seeing somebody Mm -hmm. i mean there's so many different possibilities i mean just to think it was the kid in the first place is just i know seems like it's just such a weird place to go i know it's right off the bat (laughs) just like they wanted to get it done with but yeah i don't know it was very heart-wrenching to talk with bridget about it but she's oh god i bet you know being a 13 year old when your best friend dies it affected her entire future but one thing she does say is that she believes michelle is her guardian angel and she oh. often dreams of her. And when she does, the next day after something amazing happens. So Damn, that is so cool. I know. So she feels That's like so cool. she can always ask for her help and she'll be there. <sighs> it was really emotional to talk to her about it. But I'm glad that Oh it, my you gosh. Know, I know. An amazing Thank story. Thank you, for uh, Bridget, for sharing that story yeah. so that we could talk about it. It is a crazy, crazy story. Oh, there's so many holes. I know. It feels it, so unfinished. It feels so unfinished. And I, I kind of wish they would reopen it to look into it more. Because I don't know. It didn't say the case was closed for the cops, but it did for the DA. So... Right. And they said they wouldn't do anything for new evidence, but I mean, they have evidence, but it obviously wasn't tested with Mm -hmm. the technologies that we have now. Yeah. So I'm sure it would take someone actually like opening up the case and being like, I'm going to take this on. (gasps) Dude, if they had saliva from the the Mm -hmm. gas tank. I mean, you can even get DNA from touch now. So... I mean, saliva would be... And they have somebody spit. (laughs) (laughs) They've got more than just touch DNA. Right. Sources for this episode are various Omaha World Herald newspaper articles written by Jeff Gauger, Terry Highland, David Thompson, John Melangaggio, and Sharon Novotny, and an article by Nick Schinker of the Catholic Voice. Hey, ODFMers! We have recently set up a way for you to get even more ODFM content. Become a patron through our Patreon site. And for the price of your favorite coffee order, you can get ad-free episodes, a shout-out on a future episode, and more. For the price of a strong cocktail, you can even get things like an ODFM ringtone, videos of our recorded session, and merch discounts. 
Your support helps us pay for the behind the scenes work and equipment to help keep us going and getting better and better content each week. If you can't afford to support us monthly through Patreon, consider sharing our podcast with your friends. The more people that listen, the more stories we can discover. Thanks for being our podcast buddy. Our fans are the best. Thanks for listening to another episode of ODFM, hosted by Kelly DeVries and Jenna Swanson. Production and editing by Kelly DeVries. Theme music by Eric Swanson. ODFM is a satirical true crime podcast for entertainment purposes only. The stories you hear are serious and true. The comments and opinions are not. We apologize if any of our content is harmful or disrespectful. If you have a story you'd like to submit for a future episode, please email it to odfmpodcast at gmail.com. Visit us on Facebook and Instagram at odfmpodcast. And check out our website, odfmpodcast.com, for more information on our episodes, your hosts, or general shenanigans. 